Good morning. My name is Charlie, and I love, I mean, I adore Rhode Island calamari. <laughs> Can we see a picture? I've got some pictures. I have done some in depth research this week on Rhode Island calamari. This is what that is, and I'll explain in detail what you're seeing before you. So, in fact, well, you actually can't, yeah, you can. Kind of at the very top, uh, uh, to the left-hand side, you can see my fork. <laughs> Mary Lou was taking a picture, and I could not wait. So my fork is ready to pounce on that calamari. So let's see, let's continue to watch this research that I did. So, you know, and actually Mary Lou, she was very wise. She required that before I start eating that she would take her portion. Otherwise, she would not get her portion. I uh, actually uh, helped Mary Lou, and we finished this research as the, this, this uh, is evidence of that. So let's go back and let's look at Rhode Island calamari. Now, if, I, I never had this until I was 58 years old. Uh, some friends of Mary Lou and I took us to Chateau, and they said, would you like to split some, an appetizer with us? And we said, well, sure. And they said, do you like Rhode Island calamari? And it's like, so what's Rhode Island calamari? And they said, oh, you'll like this. Uh, little did I know that I would love it. Um, but it is a combination of, first, something that is fried. Okay, I'm from the south, so if it's fried, I probably like it. So that's, that's one benefit. The other benefit are these cherry peppers that are so good. It's just, you know, really zesty. It really adds to the calamari. But the marinara sauce is an important third ingredient. Okay, so I've been married to us Italian spices for 39 years. And you add that to tomato sauce, and it's really good. But the combination of these three is so good. I, I wish that I could have bought everybody a gift certificate. But this is a gift certificate for 20 bucks to Chateau so that you can go experience this if you've never had it. So what you need to do is pull your bulletin out, look at the bottom on the back side right below the numbers, and if the letters RIC are there, this is yours. Who's got it? Come on. RIC, it's on the bottom of your bulletin. Yeah, look at Yes. <laughs> ben, come on, buddy. Okay, Dan, it's yours, buddy. Yeah. Now, now, Dan doesn't like things that are spicy. You gotta, you gotta buy it, okay? You gotta try it. Dan loves Chateau. He kind of, sort of introduced me to it. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Charlie. And I love the taste of God's Word. I love the taste of God's Word. I became a Christian almost 44 years ago. And I would say, on average, since I became a Christian, 350 mornings a year for 43 years, I have at least opened this book and listened something that God had to say to me. That's approximately 15,000 times. 
You know, and if you do anything 15,000 times, it impacts you. And I have come to love the taste of the scriptures, and I want to talk a little bit about my experience, but why, why we should encourage one another, why we ourselves should taste the scripture on a daily basis. Now, there are several things that I really enjoy about the scripture. Uh, one is just the power in my life. Uh, memorization has been a really important part of my discipline as it relates to the scripture. Uh, every day I spend five to ten minutes working on verses. I have verses that are organized 1 through 31. So today I reviewed my 29, 30, and 31st of the month verses. Those are verses that I know really well. But also have a discipline of looking at some verses Monday through Sunday. So today I looked at my Sunday verses. My Sunday verses are kind of still in process. Uh, I know them reasonably well, but not quite as well as my monthly verses. And then I have a new verse that I'm memorizing uh, and was working on that this morning. I've been doing that routine for a while, not long enough. I wish that I had done that from the very day that I had become a Christian. I actually have met a lady in Waco who did that, and it is enormous how many verses uh, that she has memorized. I don't know how many I've memorized, maybe two or three hundred. But that has been of tremendous benefit to me. And so my personal experience, like Rhode Island Calamari, is that I keep trying it. I keep tasting it to confirm the benefits of it in my own life. And before I explain some rationale as to why we should read the Bible, let me just tell you about my own experience. The first thing that I would say about the Bible is that it's true. I am very convinced that the Bible is true. Uh, let me give you an example of this. From Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Let me read that again. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. I think that's true. In fact, I know personally that that is true. So let me tell you the story behind my conviction. In 2007, my oldest son, Charles, went to Iraq. Let's look at a map for just a second. Uh, he was up uh, in the northern part of the country ministering to folks who were Kurds. And he was to the east of Erbil. So he was relatively close to the border of Iran. So he was there for the better part of a year. And while he was there, he had some amazing experiences. Let me tell you uh, about one in particular. So he and a friend decided to go do some climbing. Uh, there are lots of mountains in that neck of the woods. I think there's a picture that's coming up that you'll see. So he and his buddy, uh, they were really convinced that they needed to get to the top of the mountain, except that they ran out of time. And they thought that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to figure it out. We'll be able to make it down in the dark. Well, it's kind of dark in uh, that portion of the world. And so they got lost coming down the mountain. And they got trapped on a ledge at 4,700 feet without much water, with no food, without the proper clothing, and it's about the mid-40s. What was amazing, I guess this is the first thing the angel did, was they were able to use their cell phones to connect with their team leader and 
let them know what was going on, that they were trapped and needed to be rescued. Well, amazingly, uh, they, the team leaders called the military. We were in a war at the time there. And so the military sent two F-16s to check it out. And so three or four hours later, these F-16s buzz by, going back and forth, just checking out what is this all about and using infrared to figure out where they were. Sometime in the middle of the next morning, two helicopters arrived. Uh, this is the helicopter that uh, rescued my son. Uh, and a team of individuals got both of them off the mountain, brought them off the mountain and, and, and to where the rest of the team was waiting for them. Let me read you from a written report uh, that one of the individuals wrote afterwards. This is from Lieutenant Skaggs. It took us a while because they were in an area where one side of the mountain was an 80-degree angle and the other side was a 90-degree angle. That's fairly sharp. So it was hard to see them unless you came in at just the right direction. Well, if that's not amazing enough, listen to these two things that Mary Lou and I uh, learned after the fact. This is jaw-dropping. Okay, the first one is that when they came down the mountain and they got lost, that probably saved their life because the mine, there was a minefield on the path that leads you down the mountain. And they did not walk through that path. And that probably saved their life. However, a second thing we found out, this was four or five months later, a U.S. military drone was watching them the whole time. That was a common path for people sneaking in from Iran, which is why the minefield was there. Uh, my friend was actually watching with the drone and making a decision with other people whether or not they should be taken out and killed. They decided not to kill them because they weren't moving. That was the only reason they didn't kill them. He told me later that if he had, he had pulled the trigger, you know, and, and killed them, that he wouldn't have told me. He saw the report several months later, went through his death, and he saw my son's name and was stunned that uh, it was him. So the verse again, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Charles has been rescued multiple times by that angel. I cannot wait to see that angel in heaven. And say thank you. This is the same Charles that you're going to be working with, Cassidy. So watch out. <laughs> well, I guess you benefit from his angel. Just hang close. So I have found that the scriptures are true. So when Jesus, or when Charles was, um, was in Iraq at that time, uh, we didn't know it at the specific time, uh, Another verse has been really impactful to me in his journey. And so it really I've learned not only the scripture is true, but the, the scriptures are powerful. This is a, a powerful verse or verses that have made an impact on me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When we choose to embrace the word of God by faith, 
It delivers on its promise, and that verse has delivered. When I am anxious and when I trust Jesus, he delivers on that promise to rescue me from a place of anxiety and for me to experience the peace and the joy that is his. In fact, every time I trust in the word and place my faith in what God has said, he delivers. It always results in more freedom, more hope, more patience, more compassion, more confidence, more peace, more courage, more of a lot of good stuff. Unfortunately, at times, I don't have faith in him. I have faith in his enemy. And when I have faith in his enemy, I have more discouragement, more confusion, more addictive patterns, more cynicism, more depression, to name a few. I always have a choice as to how I am to respond. I always have a decision that I need to make uh, in order to um, embrace and experience how good his word tastes to me. In fact, I want to you know, go back to an illustration that Brendan used a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about our perceptions and how they're shaped and how we view the world around us. Well, when I look at the world through God's truth, it's all those good words. It's the hope. It's the encouragement. It's the joy. It's the peace. That's what I experience because I'm initially trusting in him over anything else. Conversely, when I trust my experience, it messes me up. Instead of choosing to believe God, I choose to believe the enemy. I choose to believe my experience. And I see life in a way that discourages me, makes me hopeless, uh, and leads to bad things. Leads to bad places, uh, places of tremendous hopelessness. And so my encouragement, obviously, is that if the Bible is true, and if it's powerful as I testify to you, uh, that it's life-changing. It tastes great and changes everything. So my encouragement simply, obviously, is for you to, uh, if you're not there already, to be inspired by my experience and make decisions and choices and changes in your life in order to prioritize experiencing the power and the truth of God's word. But sometimes people don't believe our testimony. Sometimes people don't believe what we've experienced. Even though I love Rhode Island calamari, some of you probably are not going to act on that. Some of you will not respond, probably, to my encouragement for you to be in the Word, more than you currently are. And so let me share some other things that testify to the trustworthiness of the scriptures. And that's really where we're at. We're finishing up a, a sermon series today. We've been looking at a number of what-if questions. And this morning, we just want to answer the question, what if the Bible is trustworthy? What if it really is the Word of God? What should our response be to that? And how can we share that with other people? All right, so we're going to look at some internal witnesses to the trustworthiness of God, and then we're going to look at some external witnesses. The first internal witness that I would list today is that the Bible fulfills its claims about itself. 
the Bible claims to be God's word. 2,000 times we see written in some form or fashion, God said, or uh, the word of the Lord came to a person who then writes or shares that. As I've already quoted, or as, as I want to quote, the law of the Lord is perfect from Psalm 19, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That's what the Bible claims for itself, and it's true. It also claims to be inspired by God and powerful. Read these with me. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Another verse related to that, another claim from Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Can anybody testify that when you open the word of God that it can pierce and reveal the difference between darkness and light in you? That's what the Bible claims for itself. Uh, One thing, however, that the Bible doesn't claim for itself is that it's an encyclopedia. It does not answer every question that you have. It is historically reliable, but it does not claim to be a history book. It is geographically reliable, but it does not claim to be a geography book. It does not claim to be a science book. However, it does claim to be a book that helps us understand, know who our creator is, and how much he loves us. That's what it claims, and I believe that it fulfills that promise. The next thing that I would want to highlight is that uh, the message of the Bible internally is very consistent. In fact, it's kind of amazing. Forty different authors wrote the Bible over 1,500 years living in three continents, and yet the message is always the same. Good news, bad news, good news. The first good news is that God created us and everything's great. The second, uh, or the, the, the next bad news, or the bad news, is that we've messed it up. The second good news is that Jesus has solved that problem, and God has extended that grace to all of us. So it really is very consistent. And think about this for a second. Let's think about the authors. A fisherman, a king, a military general, shepherds, a doctor, a tax collector, a cupbearer, and a Pharisee. And they all wrote the same things over 1,500 years. They wrote it from prison, from the wilderness, from exile, from times of war, and times of peace. Over and over again, same same basic message. God rescues those who humbly place their trust in him. So the Bible claims, the Bible claims are are fulfilled in what the Bible says about itself. The Bible's message is consistent. The third internal evidence is Jesus quoted the Old Testament repeatedly. To me, this is the strongest internal evidence of the trustworthiness of the Bible. If Jesus was who he said he was, then we should take the Old Testament and the scriptures very seriously. Several things stand out in the way that Jesus described the the scriptures. The first one comes from John 5, 39 and 40, talking about the fulfillment of scriptures. 
You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life, speaking to the Pharisees. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What an amazing comment. Jesus is claiming to be the revelation. He's not saying the Bible's the revelation. He's saying, I'm the revelation. I'm the one that has life. The scriptures are the inspired record of God. The scriptures point towards me, and you don't really know the scriptures. You know, it's, it can be challenging sometimes. We can find ourselves worshiping the Bible instead of Jesus. But the Bible is about God, and that's why we read it. Uh, a second element of our confidence from what Jesus says is from uh, chapter 5, verse 18 of Matthew. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Well, that's pretty affirming of what we have. That's pretty affirming of the scriptures that are before us. The third thing that I would want to point out is how he uses the scripture to defend himself against the evil one. Uh, At the point of his temptation in the wilderness, he heads out the door, he's fasting, and he encounters the evil one who wants to mess him up. And in fact, we learn that the, the evil one knows the scriptures. And he quotes Psalms over and against and challenges Jesus. And Jesus three times says the same thing. It is written. He quotes the scripture to defend himself and to not trust his experience, but to establish God's truth uh, as the primary focal point and reference point for his life. Uh, We would be well advised to take advantage of that same discipline. In fact, that's why memorization is so important. It's not like out in the desert when you're fasting. You know, you don't don't have Wi-Fi, and it's hard to call up your scriptures. You know, on the, at the heat of the moment, when you're battling the evil one, you need to have those scriptures. And the, the school here that's been memorizing scriptures, that works. That's one of the reasons why it's such an important discipline in the training school. So the internal evidence is the Bible fulfills all it promises. The Bible possesses a unity of message. And third, Jesus affirms the Old Testament over and over again. Well, let's look at a couple external evidences, things that are outside the scriptures that point to the trustworthiness of the Bible. And we would like to start with textual credibility. When it relates to ancient documents, there are two things that you look at to determine the trustworthiness of the manuscript. One is, when was it written, and how much time has elapsed since that uh, book was written. And so that's one element. Another element is how many manuscripts exist related to that particular book. Now, a lot of manuscripts were written on parchment and papyrus, and they just didn't last. So we don't have any of the originals of any ancient literature. But let's look at both some, old, uh, some non-biblical sources as well as uh, a biblical uh, story about manuscripts. Caesar wrote a book called Galactic or Gaelic Wars. There are 10 manuscripts, and the first one was written a 1,000 years after the first one we have 
or those manuscripts, the earliest we have, I'm sorry, was a thousand years after it was written. Plato's Thucydides, eight manuscripts, 1,300 years passed between when it was written and when we have a manuscript. Tacitus, 20, 20 manuscripts, 800 years. These are all uh, famous individuals, even though I don't know them well. Uh, Suetonius, eight manuscripts, 750 years. Herodotus, eight manuscripts, 1,400 years. Homer, this is the most uh, uh, well-known book of ancient times besides the Bible. There are 6,000 manuscripts that we have, but they date back to 2,000 years after he originally wrote it. Whereas the Bible, there are 24,000 manuscripts, and the earliest is 350 years after Jesus died. Quite a contrast. So I believe that uh, there really isn't an ancient book that compares uh, to the trustworthiness of the Bible in that regard. doesn't mean the Bible's true. It just means that it's a, a book that we should take seriously. A second external evidence uh, is archaeology. And just I would lift up one specific example, and that's the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in 1947. In 1947, there was a cave discovered with a number of original, or not original, but early, early fragments of the scriptures, especially the book of Isaiah. It was, they dated back to approximately 100 years before Christ. And when you compare that to the Masoretic text of the Jewish scribes of 1000 AD, even though there's 1,100 years that has passed from beginning to end, of, of, or a gap between those two, uh, there is hardly any... Uh, any change, just, just a few letters that are not significant. The third thing that I would point to related to external evidence of the Scripture is prophecy. There are lots of different examples of prophecy. Uh, there's one from Ezekiel that relates to the destruction of Tyre that was written 15 years, or he said it, 15 years uh, before it took place. But most of the time, we look towards Jesus and the 300 prophecies of the Old Testament to confirm to people who are having a hard time understanding or believing the scriptures uh, that, in fact, uh, uh, prophecy uh, has come true. A little section here from Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and uh, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So the external evidence that I've talked about is, first of all, that the number of manuscripts that exist really suggests that the scripture is a book that uh, stands against other books as a book to be worthy of our research and study. Secondly, that there is a confirmation of archaeology, and I've just touched on one example, and that there are so many Old Testament prophecies that confirm that the Scripture uh, is valid for us. So what if the Bible is trustworthy? What does that mean for you and I? How are we going to respond to that? What changes 
would Christ be calling you to make as you prioritize the scripture in your own life? The uh, ushers are going to come forward and pass out some index cards. We're going to use those index cards in a very practical way. If the band would like to come forward, that would be great. All right, I, I gave you, I had a, a pretty good offer. At, well, I'm, I'm surprised. I'll have to look and see if that RIC is in a bulletin in the back. Um, Dan, you're a lucky man. I talked to Dan yesterday. I told him he was going to get it if no one. Angels were around you. There you go. That's a good call. These index cards have several purposes. And one is sort of related to the the gift certificate. And here's my first challenge, and I, I suspect there are not a lot of people in this room that this relates to, but if it is, uh, I would love for you to take us up on that. If you do not have a Bible, the river would like to buy you one. Obviously, it's hard to uh, embrace God's Word if you don't have one. If you would like a Bible, if you need a Bible, I would love for you to write your name, your address, your email address, and tell me what language you want it on. I don't want to assume that it's going to be an English Bible, but if you don't have a Bible, we would love to buy you one. So if you would write that down at the end of the service when we're done, I'd love for you to come and put it in this basket, and we'll begin the process of rounding up Bibles for people that need it. But a lot of you have Bibles. And so this index card for you is for you, if you're not already, step into a discipline of memorizing the Scripture. What is a verse that you need to be dwelling on, memorizing, meditating on? You know, it's pretty obvious that the, the verses that you would want to memorize uh, right now would be the, the verses that address an issue in your heart, just as... I shared from Philippians 4 how that has, has addressed a need for anxiety. In fact, it still addresses that need. Uh, Charles is living in Bangalore. Cassie's going to go work uh, beside him. Uh, oh, he has a wife there and two grandsons. And so I continue to hold on to that verse uh, and use that verse to stand on and look at life through the lens of that verse. But what's a Bible verse that you need to be focusing on. And if you don't if you don't have a verse, let the Lord speak that to you. Uh, you can also just go online and believe me, you can Google uh, scriptures for any word you want to. Whether it's hopelessness, discouragement, sin, whatever. There are so many great Bible verses that make such a profound impact as we dwell on them. I would also challenge some of you who don't know who it is, but I suspect at least one person in here needs to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. <laughs> Just one. I don't know who that person is. But you have to establish a pattern in your life in order to receive the benefit of the word. You know, it's taste and see. It is taste and see. You cannot possibly benefit from Rhode Island calamari unless you open your mouth and you put it inside your mouth. 
You cannot taste it. You can't put your fingers on it and taste it. You have to embrace it and swallow it. And if you need to get up earlier in the morning, go to bed earlier and embrace the Word of God on a daily basis. Uh, The last item is as you read the Word, uh, I would encourage you to do two other things, worship and pray. I, I particularly benefit from just listening to a worship song to get my heart even ready to hear what the Word of God says. So the very first thing that I do as I spend time with God is I just listen to a song. And it, it adjusts my heart so that when I read the Word, I can receive from it. In fact, there are three questions that I have that I ask every day as I read the Word. What does it say about God? What do I need to do in response? Who needs to hear what I have learned? Ask those three questions as you worship and obviously pray. Uh, Sometimes just praying in response to what the scriptures are saying. What is God saying as you dwell with him? Let's take a few minutes and I'd like for you as we worship that you would hear what God has to say to you about a practical step that you need to take starting maybe this afternoon or at minimum tomorrow morning in regards to this word. Please stand.